0: Squires should be quiet when knights are speaking.
1: Sir Wallace reddened. I am no more a squire, my lady. My nephew knows full well that I was... Dubbed,
0: Elaine suggested gently.
1: Dubbed, said Wallace Wainwood gratefully.
0: Rob would be his age if he were still alive. She could not help but think. But Rob died a king, and this is just a boy.
1: This is a common theme in the Vale, which has remained untouched by all the wars, and is thus filled with what Catelyn herself dubbed, Knights of Summer. It is an important distinction. Age is a secondary consideration to experience. Sansa is still young, but her confidence and depth of thought are growing.
0: But none of that really remotely touches on several other important things going on here in this very subtle chapter. Like so many of the Elaine chapters and anything at all to do with Littlefinger, there are major political implications and, of course, sneaky references and clues. Many of them.
1: Gather around and put on your plotting caps and enjoy Elaine One from The Winds of Winter.
0: So hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Now we've been focusing a lot on the television show the past few weeks, but this episode is focused on the books, specifically the Elaine chapter from The Winds of Winter, and thus it does have spoilers for all of the books. We almost used a different quote to start (laughs) this episode. We almost went with Pimply Ginger Lad." And nothing else. I argued strongly for it.
1: <laughs> she almost won, too. I would have been in honor of one of the young entrants to this tourney who we'll speak about later Pimply Ginger Lad, indeed. Well, that should be his actual name, not just a, a nickname.
0: <laughs> Sarah Pimply?
1: <laughs> <laughs> of House Ginger Lad. Yes. Here's what to expect this episode Part one, we're going to review the timeline and the setting because a lot of time has passed. We've got to figure out where we are. Part two is loosely entitled Prophets of Doom. We're going to talk about Littlefinger's ongoing schemes, keep track with what he's uh, getting up to.
0: Now that's prophets as in with an F, not as in a prophecy.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Part three, we have the love triangle triangle (sighs) of Elaine, Robert, and Harry the heir. Part four is the tournament itself. We'll discuss in depth where the knights gain wings. And surprisingly, that is not, I repeat, not a reference to Robert Aaron making someone fly, Moondor style Part 5 is entitled Tapestry or Not Tapestry. Part 6, The Danger to Elaine, including the possibility that she gets kidnapped or otherwise betrayed, such as having her identity discovered by the wrong person or loudly announced by another. (laughs) Then we'll be getting to the credits, but you'll want to stay tuned past the credits because we've taken a page from our TV show episodes where we're incorporating a few bits of listener slash watcher, watchinger, my new favorite term, feedback and we've got a couple of good questions that we're going we're gonna to respond to at the end of the episode, so stay tuned after the credits for all that.
0: But now let's get into part one, timeline and setting. Now timelines can get a bit hazy, especially when we're looking at a book one chapter at a time with long gaps in between, or in Sansa's case, ten years in between. That's how long it's been since we've had a new Sansa chapter.
1: No actually, this isn't a Sansa chapter. It's Elaine Stone, <laughs> Bastard Daughter of Lord Peter Baelish, Lord Protector of the Vale, Lord Paramount of the Trident, and Lord of Harrenhal. Whew, that's, that's <laughs> a long string of titles there. Yes. Well, <laughs>
0: regardless of timeline in relation to elsewhere, Sansa has adjusted and grown herself, and so has Robert Arryn.
1: Right, one of the first things we're told in this chapter is that she hears sounds of activity coming from outside, knights fighting, and all sorts of other sounds, but the important thing is these sounds remind her of home.
0: Elaine loved it here. She felt alive again, for the first time since her father since Lord Edard Stark had died. There's also mention of Jane Poole in Sansa's memories, yet there are no thoughts of dogs or hounds. <laughs>
1: but perhaps it's best not to think of Jane Poole and dogs at the same time. Hmm. Interestingly, the lack of Sandor memories is our segue to why this chapter was considered controversial. We heard about it being controversial years before it was published, but it turns out <laughs> that was... A statement was taken out of context, and that makes sense in retrospect, because I'm sure you've read this chapter, having, if you're listening to our episode on it. You probably didn't notice anything terribly controversial about it, so you may have been wondering why some people considered it controversial. Well, some folks aware of that rumor assumed that something sexual might happen with Littlefinger. We're, we were among those people that were worried about something like that happening, or at least thought it likely enough. But, or at least, if not that, something really dark. But while Littlefinger is still as creepy as usual, there's nothing particularly sexual, or really all that dark. At least in terms of Game of
0: Thrones.
1: (laughs) Now, Sansa does begin to use her feminine wiles more, and to some that is a bit off-putting because of her age. Then again, this is nothing compared to Mercy, and Arya is, of course, younger than... Elaine Sansa.
0: Yes. Uh, The controversy turned out to be really limited to what Elio Elio Garcia of Westeros.org, of course, uh, perceived that Sansan shippers feel, you know, as in those who feel or hope that Sansa and Sandor will get together. Right. Uh, (laughs) He thought that the fact that she doesn't really think of him at all would stand out to those fans. And here we were thinking there would be rape or murder in this episode. (laughs) But besides the controversy, there are a number of other curious things mentioned and repeated in this chapter. For the second time, we are told that Robert, since his mother's death, has had terrible shaking fits when anyone came near him with a blade. Which is, you know, Shades of the Mad King yeah, right there. Yeah, straight
1: out of Ares' playbook.
0: Yes, uh, and, that, and we learn that his hair is long because of this. At this point, it is halfway down his flabby white chest. <laughs> and I think part of why we're told this, not just to hear about Robert's flabby chest, is... As exciting as that is, you know, is to give us an idea of how much time has passed.
1: Yeah, right. So sweet Robin's hair is our timepiece. What have we become? <laughs> Let's talk about news from the outside. That's a good way to figure out where this, this veil, particular veil chapter fits in with the other chapters happening around it. There's no news from King's Landing that appears to have reached the veil with regards to Cersei's walk or the death of Kevin Lannister, for example. So that's that's important.
0: Yeah. Now, Littlefinger, he may know some of, this, some of those things and maybe just hasn't told them, but they're pretty big events, and word would likely be widespread. And so it's a safe assumption that this is happening just before or around the same time as the Dance with Dragons chapter, and definitely before Mercy.
1: Right, but it looks like what we... Looks like we might be about to see some of those pieces of big news come in. At least one of them, if not more.
0: Yeah. Old Oswell, who had arrived last night from Gulltown on a lathered horse.
1: That's Oswell Kettleblack, one of Littlefinger's news gatherers. Him having raced here indicates that something is afoot.
0: He's probably bringing lots of news, and it doesn't have to just be one thing.
1: Right. But the reason we think he's hurrying in particular is because what's likely his greatest concern is the danger that his own sons are in. The Kettleblack brothers have been quite valuable to Littlefinger. They're basically triple agents. And
0: it's not because there are three of them. It's more accurate, perhaps, to say that they were triple agents, though. Osney, the youngest, murdered the, high, the previous High Septon and slept with Cersei. Cersei was going to send him to the Wall to kill Jon Snow, but now he's a prisoner of the Faith and scheduled to be executed.
1: Osfried, the middle child, was commander of the Gold Cloaks until Cersei's imprisonment. He was removed from command and later arrested by Sir Kevin. He also will be forced to face Sir Robert Strong in trial by combat.
0: Osmond, the eldest, is the one that Cersei added to the King's Guard. Kevin had him arrested as well, and he also is going to face Sir Robert Strong in trial by combat.
1: Now, in a morbidly funny twist, he claims to have been knighted by a, some Sir Robert Stone. <laughs> Sir Gregor wore a great stone fist on his helm, so there you go. One set for regular execution and the other two set to face the kyborg.
0: In other words, all three of them are set for execution. Surely nothing is more important to him than the lives of his sons, you know, to Oswell, of course, and so we'll have more on this developing situation later.
1: To clarify something I said a minute ago about them being triple agents, the three Kettleblack brothers pretended to work both for Cersei and for Ty- Tyrion through Brawn, yet they were really working for Littlefinger the whole time. So they were, they, that's what I mean by Triple Agent.
0: Moving on to the question, though. Big question, I think. Was someone in Littlefinger's chambers? Hmm. There are papers strewn about, and um, which could just be wind, but it could be something more, but I mean, who might have done so?
1: Yeah, we don't really have a lot of good guesses. A servant in, in working for somebody else is possible, but I think it's more likely that we're just meant to notice that these documents. This, this, the scene is set that way so Sansa can pick them up and look at them, and we get to see a list of competitors for the tournament, which is a reminder to us that Littlefinger is likely to manipulate several aspects of the event, especially who is invited. So now is a good time to check out our supporters page, historyofwesteros.com slash supporters. Existing supporters, check your chosen name and make sure it's what you want. We, we've been giving people fun names to recognize their support for the show and some, some have chosen by them, by you, some have chosen by us. Good times.
0: Yeah, it's really neat to check out the nicknames that we've chosen and everyone else has chosen.
1: Yeah, so uh, have fun with that and make sure that your name is appearing the way you want. And real quick, a shout out to some of our uh, particular supporters. The Northern Champions today will go through Bloody Blake the Avatar, longtime supporter, Sir Benjamin Coldwater, Knight of the Frozen Lake, and Sir Alexander Greencloaks, Skyon of the Snow River. Now we'll move on to part two, Littlefinger still on the rise. You know, it's the strangest thing, like a false sense of anxiety. I wouldn't say we have concern for Littlefinger. I'm not worried about what happens to him because he's not a character I have an emotional investment in as far as like, I hope he stays safe. But the higher he climbs, the harder it seems he'll fall. And he just keeps on climbing and no fall seems terribly imminent even though it's bound to happen eventually, I I guess.
0: Maybe we're in for a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it could
1: sneak up on us. So here comes what's the Prophets of Doom slash the Prophets of Winter. There's food stocked at Gulltown, which is one of the major ports in all of Westeros, one of the only five places in Westeros that is considered a a true city. And Peter is leveraging the coming food shortages, i.e. winter.
0: The sun was slanting through the thick yellow windows, and dust motes danced in the light like tiny golden insects. Though snow had blanketed the heights of the giant's lands above, below the mountain the autumn lingered and winter wheat was ripening in the fields.
1: Autumn lingered is a key phrase there, a clear indication that winter is not far away, that it's being that, that autumn is being pushed away in favor of colder times. So even Littlefinger can't fight winter, though he has plans to profit from it, despite how, what it is. But It's interesting that it could become something that's even bigger for him, beyond even his capacity to allow for. So what he's doing here, he's adamant with the lords Grafton and Belmore in this scene that we see, that they should not sell their grain, and he tells them to enforce this.
0: Post guardsmen on the docks, if need be, seize the ships. How does not matter so long as no food leaves the Vale?
1: It's very cynical, but admittedly very savvy. He's undoubtedly right. Food will become more scarce and prices will rise.
0: So he's essentially commanding these lords to do something that will make them profit.
1: Profit off of starvation, probably, but hey, what can we expect? (laughs) Scruples are already in even shorter supply than food will be.
0: He also expects other lords less friendly to him to make this mistake, Hmm. and he expects to benefit from them as well. This will weaken some of his enemies in the Vale.
1: For example, we have this quote. Bronzion will not wait, Grafton complained. He need not ship through Gulltown. He has his own ports. Whilst we are hoarding our harvest, Royce and the other lords' declarant will turn theirs into silver. You may be sure of that.
0: Let us hope so, said Peter. When their granaries are empty, they will need every scrap of that silver to buy sustenance from us.
1: In that effect, make lots of money, deplete enemies' wealth, strengthen alliances.
0: But what could go wrong for him? Where are the holes in Littlefinger's plan? Okay,
1: well, let's remember the Lord's declarant. They're the most overtly opposed to him. They stood firm against Littlefinger as Lord Regent. They didn't want him in that position and tried to have him removed, but thanks to Lynn Corbray... And Littlefinger's own maneuvering, obviously, he got himself a year.
0: Now, the Lord's declarant, to go over them again, are Sir Simon Templeton, the Knight of Nine Stars, Lord Benadar Belmore, Lord Horton Redford, Lord Gilwood Hunter, Lady Anya Wainwood, and Bronze Jan royce You gotta love those Bailman names.
1: <laughs> so pompous. Yeah. <laughs>
0: anyway, Littlefinger made a prediction himself in Elaine one in Feast for Crows.
1: Redford and Wainwood are old. One or both of them may die. Gilwood Hunter will be murdered by his brothers, most likely by a young Harlan, who arranged Lord Eon's death. In for a penny, in for a stag, I always say. Belmore is corrupt and can be bought. Templeton, I shall befriend. Bronze Royce will continue to be hostile, I fear. But so long as he stands alone, he is not so much of a threat.
0: Now, none of them have died so far, but it hasn't been a year yet. Though he has befriended Templeton and he has bought the corrupt mm. Belmore
1: Plan is underway. <laughs> Waynewood herself is cooperating in the matter of Harry and Elaine and attending with her kin. so that's seemingly handled at least at least for the time being.
0: Gilwood Hunter is nowhere to be seen, but he's the one predicted by Littlefinger to be murdered. Yeah he
1: doesn't even he's not even mentioned in this chapter at all.
0: Now Bro Royce is a problem, but Littlefinger is keeping him in check by alienating him from his potential allies. And as we just saw, he's predicting money and food problems not too far off.
1: Now, Lord Horton Redfort is the other potential problem, and his son is married to Jan's daughter, so he's tied to the most obvious enemy of Littlefinger. He's considered dangerous in his own way by the likes of Kevin and Tywin Lannister, so that means something. Tywin doesn't think of many people as dangerous. He was a suitor for Lysa Tully, uh, after Jon Arryn's death, and Littlefinger's key to keeping Horton in check might be his own son, Michael, who we'll talk about in Part 4. He's one of the competitors in the tournament.
0: So there are other possible problems, of course, for Littlefinger besides the Lord's Declarant. One one popular and reasonable consideration is his weakness for Sansa Stark, but let's look mm-hmm. at some less well-known ideas.
1: Right. There's, there's not much new in this chapter along the Sansa being Littlefinger's eventual downfall. It's just... We get reminders that Littlefinger's still creepy. His creepiness is just as strong as it ever was. But that's nothing new. We know that already. So how about some of these more epic possibilities, though? Let's think big. Like, someone landing or invading in the Vale. Danny, of course, would be a big one to think about. It's popular to think that she'll land in Dorne. But if Dorne is for the Sixth, or if there's bad blood with her over Quentin's death, if she's blamed for it, which you could easily see how that would be, then she can't really land there. Meanwhile, the Stormlands and much of the Crownlands are somewhat out of the question as well thanks to Egon the 6th. Though loyalty does run deep in some parts such as Cracklaw Point. Though again, if everyone sees Egon the 6th as a Targaryen, that cuts both ways. So, mm. if a- he gets there first, it might be closed off to her. So, unless she goes all the way around to the other side of Westeros, that leaves the Vale and the North as the only spots in the east coast at least looking at things from a large scale, and the North has no reason to welcome her and might be snowed under to boot. I mean, parts of it already are.
0: Yeah, but you should keep in mind that Daenerys can land almost anywhere she wants if she somehow has a truly massive army and or effective control over her dragons.
1: (laughs) That's right, she can always force her way in. (laughs) But it's also
0: important to remember that of all the kingdoms, the Vale and Dorne are the most intact, the least touched by war. Of those two, the Vale is more populous and richer, and less embroiled in the pre-existing alliances and grudges. That's
1: right. Very important there. So the veil is... This is why Littlefinger has made it his base. <laughs> Lots of reasons why this wouldn't work, though. Such as the veil itself becoming hostile to Daenerys for some reason. Or, again, because Aegon Sixth wins them over first.
0: Or because they just pre- prefer a male claimant.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the way the Andals tend to be. Although we certainly have seen women ruling the Vale in the past. Yes. But it's definitely worth entertaining as a possibility. The other major unknown, as I said, is winter. There's, there's snow in the Riverlands in feast and a giant storm near Winterfell, so the veil itself could feel the effects and it could be soon we've and there's hints in this chapter that it's it is coming soon littlefinger clearly expects this of course but if it's a lot worse than even he could predict (sighs) i don't know what'll happen but even the best laid plans of littlefinger and and other men (laughs) mice and (laughs) littlefingers yeah
0: Yeah, it begs be the question.
1: Way, yeah, it could be waylaid by Winter.
0: Yeah, it begs the question of what Littlefinger would do against the others, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what would he do
1: about that? He's great at handling and manipulating humans, but what some, would he do some about... Some the brothel girls? <laughs> yeah, the little icy icy girls. Let us move on to part three. The love triangle of Elaine, Robert Aaron, and Harry the heir. It's a bit of an awkward love triangle, really. There's not much actual love involved at all. <laughs> First, Elaine and Robert will go through these in different parents here, and it's interesting to see her influence growing as he grows more attached and dependent on her.
0: Yeah, I mean, without a mother, she's even more vital to him. And Robert dislikes the company of almost everyone.
1: I love you best of anyone.
0: Sansa, she has the power to make him feel sorry and remorseful, something that, you know, we haven't really seen from Robert. Sansa asks him, would you dishonor me that way?
1: The Boy looks stricken. No, I never meant. How do you think Elaine's influence over Robin will play out?
0: Honestly, I think that he's just so doomed that it likely won't really be relevant. I mean, if she, but if she does, she, you know, she might influence to him to buy out lemons from the entire world, not just Dorne.
1: Uh, one idea I had, though maybe not very likely, is Elaine turning Robin against Littlefinger somehow. Right now, I'm not so sure she has the impetus or reason to do that, but she could do it if she wanted. I'm thinking if, yeah. if circumstances change... Think I think yeah. she
0: definitely could. I think she's got that kind of hold over him.
1: Yeah, she has more hold over him than Littlefinger does at
0: yeah. this point. Yeah, Sansa probably won't influence Robert's thoughts on Harold, which are decidedly negative already. Yeah. And this is likely Lysa's influence. Robert thinks that Harold wants his seat, which you might think is his mother's paranoia coming out. But really, he, really, he has plenty of justification for being worried about this.
1: Yeah, Harold is more Falcon than Falcon. Littlefinger knows this and keeps them apart.
0: You are in the Falcon Tower, Sir Harold, Elaine put in, far away from Sweet Robin. That was intentional, she knew. Peter Bayliss did not leave such things to chance.
1: So, Harry looks like John Aaron, and it doesn't seem like Robert looks at all like John Aaron. He doesn't have his father's hair color or his mother's hair color. <sighs> and he doesn't, it doesn't seem to really have many of John's features at all, whereas Harry has several.
0: Men old enough to have known John Aaron in his youth said Sir Harold had his look, she knew. He had a mop of sandy blonde hair, pale blue eyes, and aquiline nose.
1: And yeah, it doesn't seem like Robin has any of those features at all. Yeah. So he's he's a little, maybe even a little jealous of that. It's it's interesting to look at the way people look. In A Song of Ice and Fire, you can look at these features and be more certain than you could in the real world. Because in the real world, genetics is a lot more random than in A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, it wouldn't
0: be surprising at all for a redhead and a blonde to have a kid with brown hair. It would, it would just be pretty average
1: but george doesn't work that way his world works differently his genetics are specifically said to have magical elements to them such as something that we delve deep into in our Werewoods episode i think it was part three of our religious and magic series we do two parts on the Werewoods. i'm not sure whether this theory was in part two or three but the whole series is worth listening to and in it we talk about bloodlines possibly being tied to Werewoods and other things like that but outside of that this is why some people suspect that there might be something going on with with Robin's parentage. Maybe that Littlefinger is his father, but we're not going to get into that in this episode. Yeah. Tease. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just not—it's not just his features, though. Where Harold is you know, encroaching on the Aaron name. There are even clues in his coat of arms.
0: Yeah, nobody suspects the butterfly pointed out, um, and I thought it was pretty interesting, that that Harry's arms are quartered, of course, which is pretty obvious. One quarter of it is Wainwood for his mother. Another quarter of it is hardying for himself, slash, you know, his father. And two quarters of it have the Aaron sigil. And this is, you know, really presumptuous, especially considered, considering that he's doing this in front of Robert at his tourney.
1: Yeah, usually you don't put two quarters of a quartered sigil towards your, just your grandmother's side. It's yeah. a clear he's clearly emphasizing yes. the Arryn blood inappropriately, which is not what people are usually allowed to do. I mean, you don't have it's not like there's some universal body that approves all sigils. <laughs> nope, you can't wear that. You can't <laughs> wear that. But it, but the sigils, as we know, are really important in Westeros. And so Harry is really making a statement with his. Quartered arms are kind of rare. We see them on the some of the some of the frays, use them, big and little Walder, for example. Yeah, House whore yeah. is yeah. another example. And yeah,
0: usually a lot of times they're to claim, you know, more, more prestigious relatives, you know, besides just, you know... But Harry's just yeah. really
1: emphasizing the errands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, so this, that's, that's actually nowhere. The very sneaky little uh, reference there, but it's pretty important. So let's get back to the actual uh, love triangle here. Harold <laughs> and Elaine is the other pairing. Now, Sansa's using what she learned, not just from Littlefinger, but from Cersei, who, while not Littlefinger's equal in most things, surely knows more of using beauty as a source of power.
0: Excuse me while I imagine Littlefinger using his beauty as a source of his mm, power. <laughs> let's see.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not getting anywhere with that either. <laughs> now back into Storm of Swords.
0: Sansa sat with her hands in her lap, watching how the Queen moved and laughed and tossed her blonde curls. She charms them all, she thought dully. How I hate her.
1: Well, maybe she just hated her because of who she was, not because of what she's doing, because wow. in this chapter we have...
0: Sansa tossed her hair, took a sip of wine, made him wait. How can you forgive someone who is unforgivably rude? Will you explain that to me, sir?
1: <laughs> so, Sansa plans on giving her favor to someone else to get a reaction from Harry, who uh, who had just asked for it in that previous scene. One possibility is Roland Waynewood because he's actually a good fighter and that would, you know, that would make Harry work for it kind of. Yeah.
0: And then we have this quote, after that Sir Roland Waynewood swept her up and made her laugh with mocking comments about half the other knights in the hall. So it seems like she if she's going to ask someone that he's a pretty she, she seems comfortable with him.
1: Yeah, she's it's the last thing in this chapter is her considering who she she tells Harry she's promised her favor to somebody else even though she hasn't, but she's mm-hmm. going to and act as if she had made that promise already. So she is definitely toying with him and it looks to be working because he we, when he's first introduced, he's super rude to her. <laughs> we saw that he just calls like why would I want to be escorted anywhere by little finger's bastard. And she keeps her cool, other people kind of talk him down a bit and, like, point out how rude he was. And then later, he's coming and apologizing, uh-huh. he's like, I'm so sorry, so her sense is like, yeah, now I've got you where I need you.
0: And, you know, he's not wrong to feel this way about Elaine Stone. She is Littlefinger's bastard, and I, I I wouldn't be too happy about this marriage myself coming into it, especially knowing that you're being told who to marry.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see if Harry, for example, if Harry would find out who she really was oh, before yeah. its time that he would, would
0: he would feel like such a fool. yeah
1: <laughs> that would make him you wonder if maybe he has already learned by that point? I don't think he has, but that would that would ex- partly explain why he became nice after being such an ass at first, huh. but I think it's more what we're told and that he just realized he was being an idiot and you know has to win Sansa over or Elaine pardon me (laughs) all right let's talk about part four the tournament Four and sixty knights had been invited to vie for places amongst Lord Robert Aaron's new brotherhood of winged knights. And four and sixty knights had come to tilt for the right to wear falcons' wings upon their warhelms and guard their lord.
0: So basically, to make the eight is the whole point of the tournament.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we said there was nothing sexual in this episode. (laughs) Moving
0: on. uh, The tournament is at the gates of the moon, Nestor Royce's new castle.
1: But Littlefinger is paying for the extravagant tournament itself, despite appearances. He's just letting Nestor Royce get all the credit. George R. R. Martin never misses a chance Mm -hmm. to talk about food, and we won't go into nearly all the detail he did, but he did describe a lot of delicious-sounding food again, and one item in particular was very notable.
0: Yeah, there was a lemon cake 12 feet tall in the shape of the Giant's Lands with an eerie made of sugar. And the cake had required every lemon in the veil, but Peter had promised that he would send to Dorne for more.
1: (laughs) So this extravagance is a clever play. He's getting Nestor deeper and deeper in his pocket, and in addition to relying on him for his title...
0: Yeah, you have to remember that... Littlefinger's removal would put Nestor's own seat at risk since it's Littlefinger's signature on the document granting him the Gates of the Moon. If Littlefinger's decrees are overturned, then Lord Nestor Royce goes back to being Sir Nestor Royce.
1: Without this famous castle mm-hmm. under his control, so he does not want to lose that. And Nestor, of course, being from an ancient line of Andal slash First Man nobility, because the Royces have mm-hmm. a lot of First Man ties still, He's very proud, We've, that's pointed out in general, of amongst these lords of the Vale, and Nestor is, we're given specific examples of that throughout A Feast for Crows and in a bit in this chapter as well. So he is, he gets acclaim and honor for holding this big tournament, and that's something he craves is, is a claim and honor and pride. And this is a good example of Littlefinger understanding how to subvert people. He's giving Nestor what he wants, all the while making him more reliant on.
0: Yeah, Littlefinger's really smart. He's too smart for us to predict him with any precision really at all, but we should probably expect him to manipulate this tournament in a number of ways.
1: Right. We saw from the Mystery Night and in other places that tourneys are ripe for cheating and shall we say creative strategies like the one Sir Loras used on Sir Gregor. So, how could Littlefinger possibly resist?
0: Speaking of Gregor, we could see someone get the Sarah Hugh treatment here. It would be mm. easy to have people killed by matching them up with Lothar Brune or Lynn Corbray or anyone he judges as corruptible via bribery.
1: Yeah, and speaking of bribery, There are numerous ways in which this could be employed against many, but not all, the competitors, seeing as it's already being used against the guy running the tournament.
0: (laughs) If you want to have some fun thinking about this more on your own, just imagine all of the ways that someone could cheat in a tournament. Surely Littlefinger is aware of many.
1: Or all of the ways to cheat. Nobody knows more about the different ways to (laughs) break the rules and and get what you want through (laughs) through deception and subterfuge than Littlefinger. He's the master. Let's talk about what they're fighting for here. They're fighting to join this brotherhood of winged knights. This is cool. Also known as B-O-W-K, Bok. Bok, 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 Bok The Bok. winged knights. Are they chickens? Yeah, they're chicken knights. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, what's his face from the, Brienne runs into the knight of the bloody chicken. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the guy who he fought. <laughs> so the winged knight is essentially the Vale's Age of Heroes equivalent to, say, Land the Clever or Brandon the Builder. House Aaron and the snooty and all nobility of retrofit this legend, (laughs) so as to make the winged knight Sir Artis Aaron. But the OG Winged Knight was actually a first man and was around long before the Andals came to the Vale. I love how you phrased that. Yeah, OG. Yes. OG Winged Knight. <laughs> you now this whole
0: thing is Sansa's idea. It's her design and concept. You know, she may just have a future in marketing. Definitely RC marketing. Uh, she'll come up with some new house slogans. When winter comes, she'll change house stocks. to winter came, you know, etc. But this really is a, a well-done idea, and Littlefinger himself says so. And of course, Littlefinger would never miss an opportunity to use praise. as... As an excuse to get creepy.
1: He had smoothed her hair and kissed her forehead. What a clever daughter you are.
0: He's not exaggerating though. The more we look at this tournament, the smarter it seems. A particularly clever part is that normally a tournament offers cash prizes. Of course, Littlefinger could manage a big purse easily, but it's nice for him that they will come for no gold at all. Although apparently there are prizes for the lesser events, this is nominal.
1: Littlefinger is not stinting overall, however. Like Tywin, he knows the value of impressing people with wealth, even though this isn't, it is not its his wealth, but it's being projected through Nestor. There were gifts as well, splendid gifts. Each of the competitors received a cloak of cloth of silver and a lapis brooch in the shape of a pair of falcon's wings. Fine steel daggers were given to the brothers, fathers, and friends who would come to watch them tilt. For their mothers, sisters, and ladies' fair, there were bolts of silk and myrish lace." Lord Nestor has an open hand, Elaine heard Sir Edmund Brakestone say.
0: An open hand and a little finger, Lady Wainwood replied, with a nod toward Peter Baelish. Brakestone was not slow to take her meaning. The true source of this largesse was not Lord Nestor, but the Lord Protector. Now, the prize most sought after in this tournament is...
1: The eight victors would be expected to spend the next three years at Lord Robert's side as his own personal guard.
0: Now, Littlefinger, you can't really expect lords or heirs to commit to that, so it'll mostly be unlanded knights, younger sons, and the like. Only a few of the competitors are even married, as we see that, though a few were promised, only three were wed.
1: Now, this look vaguely reminds me of Damon Blackfire, who's... And in more than one way, it's not just the way it looks. We have here a bunch of young, unmarried glory seekers and second sons, which is, those are the people who flocked to David Blackfire's banners. And Damon had a winged helm, too. So I don't, I don't think there's anything meaningful in that comparison as far as what to expect. But it's kind of neat to see that parallel.
0: Now, the, the appeal of this Brotherhood of Winged Knights is pretty straightforward enough to explain, as Littlefinger does here. They're
1: young, eager, hungry for adventure and renown. Lysa would not let them go to war. This is the next best thing. A chance to serve their lord and prove their prowess. They will come, even Harry the heir.
0: More importantly, though, the winners will be hostages, really, due to their own honor and skill, even. (laughs) Normally, the king would worry about the loyalty of the Kingsguard knight if he had a conflict with that knight's family.
1: Jamie Lannister comes to mind, of course, and Jamie was also sort of an effective hostage of yeah. Ares.
0: But the tables are turned in this case because Littlefinger is not particularly concerned about the life of Sweet Robin in the long term. So these winners will actually be hostages.
1: Yeah, Littlefinger will have leverage over all these families of these knights. Having these noble sons, particularly precious due to their skills, given that they'll have earned their wings, and they'll be right there under his roof, far away from their own families, thinking they're doing the job of honor and getting this noble, uh, getting noble attention for this, you know, for for what they've done here and for what they're doing. But really, it's yeah. just they're just under Littlefinger's umbrella and as subject to whatever plotting he happens to to go down, whatever road he goes down with his next plot. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about who we expect the Wing Knights to be because there's certain th- indications that Littlefinger has at least arranged certain things certain ways. Also we can just look at who the, the best fighters are and make some guesses based on that.
0: Yeah, so 64 will be competing for this honor, as we said before. 8 will win. Considering that the winners will you know, help us understand that who Littlefinger might have leverage on and it'll help us see who will be close to Robert Aaron.
1: Now, this also reemphasizes Littlefinger's interest in manipulating the tournament. One person who would want Robert Aaron out of the way is Harold Harding, of course. But he's considered a poor fighter and not considered a legitimate contender, really. So he, his inclusion is interesting. He's going to enter the tournament but probably not get very far. I don't think Littlefinger wants him to, to be one of the eight for a lot of reasons. No, he doesn't
0: want that locked down without being able to get married.
1: Right. That's a bad idea. And, but it doesn't look like a problem because it doesn't look like he's going to earn his place through natural means. <laughs> yeah. If somehow he were to, I, I wonder if Littlefinger would arrange for him to lose somehow or sabotage it. But uh, we don't yeah, even. I don't need think to worry he even that.
0: needs to worry about him losing. Yeah, it just will seem happen. To be, yeah. And yeah, and there's no reason for him to really want them want him there. You know, in terms he's of been, leveraging him. He's, he's already, already coming. Gonna,
1: yeah, he's yeah, already going to be a hostage. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, thanks to his deal with Lady Waynewood. So that's covered already. But the one we feel most confident in in winning, or at least in performing well, it's a inter- kind of interesting. Uh, he can win if he wants to, but whether he.
1: Whether, whether that's what Littlefinger wants Yeah, or whether or that's yeah. what he wants,
0: we don't know. But we feel confident that if, he, that if he wants him to win, he will.
1: Yeah, we're talking about Lynn Corbray, who is probably the best fighter there. Possibly one of the best fighters in the Vale. Possibly the best fighter in the Vale. He he believes it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. And he has that Valyrian steel blade to to make him all the more better, uh, even if he even if it's close.
0: Yes,
1: Lady Forlorn. Lady Forlorn. Now, like I said, he is ultra confident and he does seem to have the skill to back it up. He was... Originally, just a little ba- a little bit of background on him, he was the man to escort Tyrion and Ron to the bloody gate. And he also suggested Tyrion's execution. He was not at all concerned with the threat of Jamie Lannister or the Lannisters in- at all he wanted to send his head to Jamie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a bit of a funny side note as well, since we're talking about his backstory. House Corbray hired Littlefinger's Bravosi sellsword grandfather.
1: That's why Littlefinger's ancestors came to Westeros, and that led to you know, Littlefinger being where he is today. So it's kind of funny that <laughs> the Corbres hired the, the Baelish's long, and now a while hired, back. And now, now they hired them. <laughs> now the hired the Corbrays. A couple uh, generations later. Yeah, how the worms turned. <laughs> so, we have this reference to Sir Lynn Corbray's new squire. What's more interesting, and we'll get to later, is his former squire. But his current squire, he calls a lout. Mm-hmm. So, this seems to be, be uh, this seems to have been, a, a bribe seems to have been involved in this mm-hmm. particular taking of a squire. Lynn apparently accepted, like a, squire's dowry <laughs> i suppose for taking the squire on uh-huh. and this is just more proof that he can be bought out but it's also there's also rumors going around that he's always out of money that little that he's in need of money at all times mm-hmm. and this is and sansa had actually figured out as far back as feast little Bef- Littlefinger confirmed it later but she figured out that lynn was on Littlefinger's side during that scene with the lord's declarant
0: That was when her suspicion turned to certainty. And how shall you reward him for this service?
1: Littlefinger laughed aloud. With gold and boys and promises, of course. Sir Lynn is a man of simple tastes, my sweetling. All he likes is gold and boys and killing. Lionel, Lynn's brother and lord of hearts home, is already friendly with Peter, with Littlefinger arranging the marriage of Lionel to the gulltown merchant's girl, who who brought a staggering, quote, (laughs) staggering... (laughs) Down <laughs> of her own to make this match, because that's typically what you need to marry oh, someone yeah. who is common born to nobility is lots and lots and lots of cash
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so Lynn is in, his, in this chapter, Lynn voices very loudly how angry he is for littlefinger arranging that marriage. However, it's probably fake
0: but what need have I for heirs when I am landless and like to remain so thanks to our Lord protector? No. Lord Father, I need none of his brood mares.
1: The sneaky interpretation uh, from our, our friend and co analyst, Rainey's Targaryen, she suggests that Lynn may already know that plans to take out Lionel have been made. In other words, Lynn may be expecting one of these promises that Littlefinger told Sansa is keeping him in line, and maybe he's promised to take out Lionel for him. But turning that around, it could be Lynn that is the one being lied to and lionel is the lord that is more important to P- Littlefinger's future plans because he's got this money and all these other things yeah. so maybe lynn is the one he's planning on setting up and selling out at some later point i wouldn't expect i wouldn't be never be too sure with Littlefinger. <laughs> he may have plans for both he may yeah. just be planning on waiting to see what happens he's just at the drop of ad he could throw one of them under the bus or mm-hmm. sell one of them the other out or both or maybe just keep them both in line somehow
0: yeah, I mean, maybe Lin just doesn't really want to be lord. Anyways, he'd have to get married and everything, and he likes boys. His <laughs> wife would care probably. It's probably more hassle than it's worth, perhaps.
1: Yeah, he was he was willing to be a suitor for Lysiteli, but that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah,
0: that, yeah, that's becoming very different.
1: Consort to the you know the lady of the veil. Vale. Yeah. Uh, so Sansa, however, seems confused because Lin is so emphatic with and so just hateful huh. yeah of Littlefinger but yeah it's he's a good actor apparently because even Sansa thinks that she's you know well maybe he's not really f- on Littlefinger's side but that's uh, we're, we're very confident that that's just him acting there doesn't seem to be any reason for Lynn to actually be upset about that for for one thing that marriage the Li- Lionel's his brother's marriage to the Gulltown girl happened before the scene with the Lord's declarant and Pete mm. and Little was already working for Littlefinger at that point, so it's not like what is so nothing's changed. He's yeah. he's he's airing a grievance that he has you know has been around for quite a while. So it doesn't it definitely fits perfectly in with the with the notion that Littlefinger still has him well under control.
0: Yeah, and plus, why would he be so loud about this if he actually felt this way? He would yeah. want to keep it to himself.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's well, it's possible with Lynn because he's just such a, bl- yeah, loud, yeah, mouth, such yeah, a loud mouth. such a loud, arrogant guy. I but I agree that, that it does point way more towards yeah. the plan still being in effect. Yeah. Littlefinger getting what he wants, but we don't know what exactly what he's got in store for Lynn. so that'll be interesting to see. Now, this is where things get even more interesting and a little bit more confusing. We have this relationship with his former squire. This is Michael Redfort, son of that so-called dangerous Lord Horton Redfort that is possibly a threat to Littlefinger's interests. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael Redfort is also the lover of Mia Stone. Yeah. So it's another love triangle of sorts, I suppose. (laughs) Now, Michael was forced to marry Isilla Royce. This is the son of Horton Redfort that ties him to Jan Royce, which, again, is Littlefinger's biggest and most outspoken enemy Mm -hmm. in the Vale. So, first of all, there's the relationship between Sir Lynn and Michael Redford, which is confusing because Lynn is obviously a big piece of work. But Michael has a reputation for being gallant and honorable, and his feelings for Maya seem, I called her Maya and Mia in the same ten minutes here, and seem to be legitimate. He seems to be, you know, he seems to really be interested in her, although we don't know that for sure. We haven't really seen him talking much or anything like that. So that's kind of odd. We have this Lynn, who's this horrible guy with this kind of nice, noble squire. Did he have an influence on him? Is Michael still, you know, a good guy? Or are they working together? Did, did Is it really kind of, is it kind of gross? Did, did <sighs> Littlefinger, or did uh, Lynn Corbray kind of have sex with him or anything yeah, like well, that? It's clear, is
0: a- as we talked about with Littlefinger mentioning that he cares about boys, there's been, you know, the question of, does that mean that, that Corbury, that Lynn Corbray is a pedophile? Or is it just, you know, a Westerosi term for, you know, he likes men? Yeah, like and young Maybe, man, maybe yeah. they're youngish, but they're not, like, boys. Or is it darker and he really, you know, wants a young boy? In which case, having a, you know, you would suspect that something more would happen with a Squire, who's a young boy. So the question is, did he do anything with Michael, was it forced? If if so, or is Michael maybe bisexual? Did nothing happen between them? Did he, you know, did he not risk that? This is like a son of a Laura. Seems like if you wouldn't, he wouldn't just do that unless it was willing. Yeah, to it's, me. A,
1: it's a really interesting developing situation. A lot of a lot of personalities that clash and motivations that are kind of unclear. But we we pointed out that Michael is also one of the most likely to make the eight <laughs> in this in this in these terms. <laughs> Here's a quote. Sir Michael Redfort set one Quintain spinning with a perfectly placed blow. He was one of those favored to win wings. So it's not just a sneaky interpretation. It, even Elaine and others seem to be to know of his reputation.
0: Yeah, so we were talking about how these winged knights would be like hostages. Michael was a perfect candidate to be a hostage. Exactly. And now this is likely not relevant at all, but it's a nice side note that John Mark Bolton squired with the Redforts.
1: That's right. So there's a bolton Vale connection, which... Maybe speaks to what's going on in the TV show in some very vague way. There could be something like that coming. There could be some sort of little finger reaching out to the Boltons. Uh, it could be just a, a a nominally similar situation. If such a thing happens, that would be the conduit potentially that that existing existing piece of networking. But as far as Michael and as a hostage, remember that since Horton and Redfort is someone that little finger doesn't really get along with that well. This allows, this This can keep Red Fort from doing anything too overtly against Littlefinger since Michael, who is a, a great young fighter, obviously that's something that is going to be important uh, for Horton. Uh, a son that's a good knight is a very valuable thing. Not just because he's a son, but because he's a good son. He's a good yeah. fighter. That's, what he's, you know, that's, what, that's something that Vale lords would be proud of, having sons like Michael, From all, from, at least from what we've heard of him so far. So, so,
0: yeah, we're definitely predicting that Michael will be one of the eight. Yeah. And that, yeah, he'll be a great hostage for Littlefinger.
1: Yeah, that, that, so we'll see whether that actually ends up mattering or whether it's just something that George uses as a device to explain why some of the lords are behaving. And it's, yeah. a, it, it's a great fit if that's what he has in mind. Yeah. Now, there's another thing. That is typical with tournaments. We have we 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 try to think through all the different things that happen in t- Rossi tournaments and to try to figure out what might happen. Now, what's traditional at the end of a tournament to name queen a uh, name a queen of love and beauty. Now, what if what if something different happened here? You know, <laughs> like uh, maybe what are some yeah. other infamous times where we've heard about the queen of yeah. love and beauty? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, typically you know the honors it's given by the champion. Which, a side note, I just. Will the, will the champion be the Lord Commander of the Knoegon Knights? I don't know. But uh, but typically it's given by the champion, so you, the champion will give it out. So it would be interesting if something unexpected, unexpected happened. You know, like a mini Rhaegar Lyanna situation. Obviously not quite so uh, far-reaching <laughs> in effects.
1: No, it's going to be so big that it's going to spawn a whole other series gonna, of novels. It's going
0: to end <laughs> a, whole, a whole dynasty, almost <laughs> end.
1: <laughs> but what if, like, Michael... Gives the Queen of Love and Beauty Laurel to Mia Stone instead yeah, of Iscilla Royce. Yeah, well. Ooh, that would be something. That would be crazy. Yeah, or if
0: Lynn Corbray wins, he could give it to someone. L- yeah, Perhaps. like
1: Miranda. Or... He's gonna
0: give it to Michael. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or Elaine herself. How yeah. how amazing would that be if somebody, whoever yeah. wins, gives the Queen of the Laurel to her, and it just draws like a lot it's of attention to likely her. Likely
0: for people to possibly give it to her. I mean, she is the daughter of Littlefinger. She, you know, she's one of the main women. There, being honored, kind and of. And she is beautiful. Yeah, and she is beautiful. So maybe someone will give it to her. I think the most hilarious, unexpected thing is just if Flynn wins and gives it to some boy. Yeah, like <sighs>
1: like Sweet Robin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if someone gave it to Sweet Robin to make him happy. That would
1: be. <laughs> How great. would he react to that? Would he be embarrassed or would he be like, "Yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm pretty, <laughs> my flabby white chest and my long hair. Yeah, long hair. I deserved this. Now through the moon door with you." So, let's talk about some of the other people, other entrants to the tournament. Elaine knew them by their shields. The Bells of Belmore. Green Vipers for the Linderleys. And the Red Sledge of Breakstone. House Tullet's Black and Gray Piley.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, we have Ossifer Lips and Uther Shet.
1: Those are some unfortunately named characters.
0: Lips (laughs) has a... uh... On the nose or on the lips, rather, sigil <laughs> one of the weirdest and funniest sigils I've seen in the whole series. I don't, I maybe, I'm sure there's a contender like you know, Piper or something with their pink maiden or something. But <laughs> House Lips a sigil is a huge pair of pink lips.
1: There's a band called Lips Incorporated, I believe, <laughs> and that they had that song Funky Town. Won't you take uh, me to? Funky Town. So guy, He should have Funky Town as his, his official song house motto. I wonder if George was was thinking of that uh, when he made these guys. <laughs> but that's seriously the worst sigil ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, Bat Uther Shit is not going to be undermined in looking foolish. He he, alongside Ossifer Lips, is competing for awkward, some sort of awkward cra- king of awkwardness, and just king of awkwardness. He doesn't uh. need double title. He he is our. Pri- previously mentioned Pimply Ginger Lad. Which
0: is the, just the new container for best term ever, next to Baseborn Manchester. Yeah, nothing of defeats
1: Baseborn Not Man quite, Jack, but Pimply but
0: Ginger Lad's close.
1: It's up there, yeah, it's definitely very good. Yes. Now, there is a King, there was a King Osgood Shet, so Shet can at least say that he <sighs> very long ago descended from royal blood.
0: Very. <laughs> now,
1: there's actually two Shets now. There's a Shet, of Gold Ta- Shet House of Gull Tap Shet House. <laughs> yikes so there's there's the shets of gull tower I'm just am just thinking of bird Uh (laughs) shet gull
0: tower oh god oh man
1: and of gull town the shets they have droppings all over their shield I
0: wonder if there's any if you meant to make a joke like that that's
1: bird shet on the nose there again (laughs) maybe Um. George is getting sillier in his uh
0: yeah yeah (laughs) we have the 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 muppet tullies in world of last fire uh which,
1: I think Gossifer Lips would shed all over them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. That's very Osgood. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so getting back to... Last We're just out things. of
1: control now.
0: Yeah, um, here's a quote. The competitors came from all over the Vale, from the mountain valleys and the coast, from Gulltown and the Bloody Gate, even the Three Sisters.
1: Lord Sunderland has been mentioned by Lord Borrell in a Davos chapter from A Dance with Dragons.
0: Yeah, we have this quote. We, he'd sell you to the Queen for a pot of that Lannister gold. Poor man needs every dragon with seven sons all determined to be knights.
1: Well he's not there, but three of those seven sons are. They get mentioned yeah. by Miranda, who just talks down Miranda Royce talks down yeah. about them, it's like that oh, you mean the ones with the sealskin cloak? The one they <laughs> bathe in seawater, you know, uh-huh. and Santa says, Well, at least they bathe. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, the whole point of the Winged Knights, the point as it's being told, as in the party line, not necessarily the real truth, but <laughs> the idea so to speak, is that they're supposed to protect the Lord of the Vale, And, of course, as we've seen, Sweet Robin is not very capable of defending himself. <laughs> so, uh, but there's an interesting back and forth here with, with trying to, in terms of the truth of the tournament, there's also the truth of Sweet Robin. This is a quote back from Feast that kind of shows where Littlefinger is at.
0: They dare not let the full extent of Robert's frailty and cowardice become too widely known. Her father had warned her. That's
1: right. That quote basically stands at remembering what Littlefinger told her, so that's straight from him. It's a small problem because the wing knights will be learning all about this. There's really no way around it. They're going to see his shaking fits, they're going to see his yelling, his throwing of porridge, his constant mm-hmm. yelling for people to be thrown through the moon door. Yeah. He'll tell them they can fly. They have wings on their helms already. <laughs> now, Sansa was thinking about the King's Guard. Now, of course, it's hard not to compare the wing knights to the King's Guard. She thinks his own King's Guard to keep him safe and make him brave.
0: But she's wrong. This is not a Kingsguard. No. And not only that, Sansa knows that the Kingsguard, that Kingsguard don't keep people safe, really. Mm-hmm. She's personally been acquainted with she that. Should yeah, she should know <laughs> better. she should know better. Kingsguard beat her. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean... So, but now, back to the Kingsguard. When Visenya formed the Kingsguard, she insisted that her brother, the Conqueror, choose men of loyalty first, skill being the second most important thing on the list. Aegon had also wanted to use attorney to decide the first Kings first Kingsguard and this this lesson is repeated by none other than young Griff himself who chooses Raleigh Duckfield because he understands this yeah
1: that's right the first Kingsguard and Egon the sixth Kingsguard is <laughs> Sir Raleigh Duckfield and he thinks he says to John Connington duck will die for me if need be he had said and that's all I require in my Kingsguard the Kingslayer was a warrior of great renown and the son of a great lord as well
0: in other words, Jaime was one of the best of his generation, but was certainly not willing to die for Aerys, though other Kingsguards knight did. And, you know, that's a really interesting point, too. I never really, before we put this in there, I never connected how smart Aegon and how smart Young Griff was yeah. in doing this. Because, you know, the, the thing about Visenya, we didn't know until the World of Ice and Fire. So mm-hmm. I was never able to make that connection before. But it speaks a lot to uh, his common sense, his good yeah, sense. Yeah,
1: he's wise. It's true. He's been taught well, and he took the lessons to heart, and... He's an interesting character, even though he's kind of new on the scene, and, and a, lot of, a lot of us see him as kind of just a, a temporary, you know, he's maybe the Mummer's Dragon, maybe not going to be around for the end game. There's some reasons to think he might be, yeah. and, of course, he's not the topic for I today.
0: I hope he is. I, I like him a lot. I, I think yeah. what Varys is doing there is really smart to actually try so hard to, to raise someone to be a good king. Yeah. It's admirable.
1: Now, the other thing about being in the King's Guard, of course, is that the point about Jamie Lannister was really good. Jamie did in <laughs> fact kill the, his own king and and like Aegon said he was a famous knight and was incredible with the sword, but he wasn't super loyal when it came down to it, and that's what really matters. But does any of this even matter for, for Sweet Robin? Isn't he just kind of doomed anyway?
0: Maester Coleman would have made certain that he str- drank a strong dose of sweet milk before the feast.
1: And sweet milk is eventually, this sweet milk is probably going to kill him eventually. The dose is being increased over time and we know that this stuff is basically a poison. If you take small amounts of it, it helps you to sleep. Take too much of it, you never wake up like aspirin two aspirin uh-huh. kills a headache 20 aspirin probably kills you now there's a bit of a parallel to joffrey here though isn't there it's he we were, we're looking at a guy surrounded by great knights killed yeah. by poison although it's not it hasn't happened yet yeah, that is kind of how we're expecting him and to sansa, go out
0: par- and sansa and uh, you know privy to both both things yeah
1: oh wow yeah she's that's
0: not not protecting him wow. and here she's gonna see robert poison Kingsguard winged knights not protecting him
1: that's a very good point now, we mentioned that Peter isn't terribly concerned with Robin's life, though he isn't exactly hoping for one of the wing knights to do that for him either.
0: Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he is a little hoping. It would make he it could. easier for him. <laughs> yeah, maybe others might true. do it at the, the wrong point when he doesn't want it. But, nah. he, but Littlefinger might also just be able to use one of them to take the fall for him.
1: Mm-hmm. That could be a big part of it. He could be setting someone up for that. This could also be used to shame and isolate one of his enemies. Imagine Horton Redford. Or Brond John Royce having to bear the shame of one of their sons being the one blamed for the death of young Lord aaron That would bring shame to their house for generations, if not longer, or potentially could. And these, as we pointed out, these Vale Houses are really big on honor and pride and all that. So this is the kind of thing that would really, really, well, they'd hate it. <laughs> it would really be a big setback for them. They do not want to have anything like that happen. A new way to support the show is by signing up for DraftKings.com. That is, You can play fantasy sports year-round. Daily fantasy games are fun and exciting. I play them myself from time to time. And DraftKings is an official partnership with Major League Baseball and other sports, I'm sure. Uh, baseball is the one I keep the most eye on, and the most uh, the most keep keep the track the of best of. So go to historyofwestros.com, dot com, and in the bottom right, you'll see a link for play fantasy baseball with Aziz. Sign up, and DraftKings will help us fund the show a bit more. And
0: if you do so, send us a message and tell us who you are. So yeah, give us your can,
1: tell us your screen name, and we yeah. can maybe even play some games. Aziz, together.
0: Aziz's winner is coming, as in winner, winner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I can't resist a good pun or a bad pun. <laughs> Yes. I can't resist a pun. (laughs) I always say there's nothing like a good pun, and now there's nothing like a good pun. Muppets reference there for you. Okay, part five, the tapestries. Some of you might be wondering why -hmm. the hell we're talking about tapestries, and others of you might be like, finally, they're going to talk about the tapestries.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we have this quote from the chapter. Lord Nestor was showing Lady Waxley his prized tapestries with their scenes of hunt and chase. The same panels had once hung in the Red Keep of King's Landing, When Robert sat the Iron Throne, Joffrey had them taken down and they had languished in some cellar until Peter Baelish arranged for them to be brought to the Vale as a gift for Nestor Royce. Not only were the hangings beautiful, but the high steward delighted in telling anyone who'd listened that they had once belonged to a king.
1: More pride. More just, <laughs> he belonged to a king. More just propping himself up. So, such a, such a windbag, these <laughs> this Nestor Royces. Uh, in some parts of the fandom, these tapestries are considered a potentially big deal. Now, let's see if this is the case or not. They might have just been for Nestor.
0: Yeah, and they they could well serve multiple purposes. Certainly, they seem to have made Nestor a very happy yeah, man. There's no doubt that's, there. <laughs> no matter, no, without a doubt, that's one of their purposes. But there could be more. Alternatively, or additionally to that, you know, Rainy Sargarian, who gave us a lot of great suggestions for this episode, suggested that it might have served to lull Cersei into a sense of security for Littlefinger to ask for something so unimportant.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: But the another question is, maybe Littlefinger smuggled something in them, perhaps. Yeah. Let your
1: imagination run wild. It's unlikely he smuggled a person that way, because he's got plenty of other ways to smuggle people out. I mean,
0: he smuggled Sansa out, so... <laughs>
1: but not in a tapestry. <laughs> so there's a lot of possibilities, but it's, 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 it's interesting because it's one of those things. One of the reasons we're interested in it is not just because a lot of other fans are interested in it, because it's been a heavily discussed topic but because the tapestries have been mentioned several times. Mm -hmm. And any time something gets mentioned more than once throughout the chapters, throughout the books, we get a little more suspicious that it might be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Now, are there additional tapestries? Perhaps we're not seeing all the tapestries here. That's one possibility there could be other ones. An original theory a long time back that seems to have lost some steam since we're now seeing these tapestries is that some of these tapestries were the ones that maybe like the ones that Lord Derry had in his basement that he put away when Robert and Tyrion and others were there because they were dragon tapestries. They were like Targaryen loyalist type tapestries and some people thought that maybe these tapestries were, had some of those scenes so, Dan, so so Littlefinger was preparing to like for <laughs> Danny to arrive be like look I'm a loyalist I've got these dragon tapestries yeah. blah, blah. now we
0: see that Robert had them hanging during his reign yeah. and so we have the question of maybe they're meant to be proof of the Baratheon look right. in some see, way we,
1: right, we see these scenes of it says that there's these scenes of hunting and these are Baratheon, they belong to a king. These are Baratheon hunting scenes. So it's quite possible you have a bunch of black haired Baratheons on, the, on these tapestries, driving home the point that Tommen is not Robert's son. Mm-hmm. Now, this is really important because Robert was kind of popular in the Vale, he was raised by John Arryn. There. He saw John as a father figure, and Robert's really charismatic. He won friends really easily. We saw him convert enemies to friends, so you know he was popular in the Vale, even though he wasn't maybe there a long time. Mm-hmm. The notion that Tommen is a bastard could really, really piss people off more than just the idea that there's a bastard on the throne because it's Robert who was you know, cuckolded and, and treated this way. So here's a quote. This could be a hedge against the Lannisters losing power. For example, Littlefinger preparing things from all angles. This is from Feast. You would not believe half of what is happening in King's Landing, sweetling. Cersei stumbles from one idiocy to the next, helped along by her counsel of the deaf, the dim and the blind. I always anticipated that she would beggar the realm and destroy herself, but I never expected she would do it quite so fast. It is quite vexing. I had hoped to have four or five quiet years to plant some seeds and allow some fruits to ripen, but now... It is a good thing that I thrive on chaos. What little peace and order the five kings left us will not long survive the three queens, I fear.
0: Three queens? She did not understand.
1: Enumerating all the possibilities for what he means by three queens is outside the scope of this episode. It is a a phrase that has generated a lot of talk and analysis on message boards throughout the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Needless to say, Daenerys is a possibility. And so is Marjorie, and even possibly Sansa herself, though I doubt that Littlefinger was referring to her in that way. It is possible. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, what what does he mean? There has never been a queen on the Iron Throne or a queen in the North, really. But that could be what he is talking about. But in any case, he doesn't think too much of Cersei's chances. So if the tapestries are meant to show Tommen's bastardy, then it can work out in a number of ways that are good for Littlefinger, depending on which queen comes out on top. Because it shows the Cersei's... It shows the... The, tre- the treason of Cersei, the illegitimacy of Tommen, and the loyalty to Robert, who, you know, very few people look at Robert as, they, well, some people look at Robert as a usurper, but m- quite a few people look at him as the as the rightful king, and that his descendants should be the ones to rule, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the Vale is already pretty anti-Lannister in the first place, the, we, we, so the TV show kind of brings that out a bit, and... They're, they wanted to fight on the Tully side and the Stark side, but, you know, Lysa wouldn't let them, so...
0: <laughs>
1: we'll have to see what happens there. Very interesting developing situation. On to part six. Who knows Elaine is Elaine? Or who knows Elaine is Sansa? We'll go through a couple of different houses and individual characters here where we look for some answers. Lady Wainwood or House Waynewood, of course, is this is where we'll start. Their sigil is a wheel with a broken spoke.
0: Yeah, take that, Daenerys. They've already got <laughs> it with a the broken wheel on their shields and banners. As for Elaine
1: She showed the Wainwoods a stone face as they blurted out awkward apologies for their companion.
0: We see what you did there. <laughs> Elaine Stoneface. Uh-huh. And that, It's a pretty nice play on words, especially since the Baelish sigil is just that stone face right mm-hmm. You're the, the Titan of Braavos. <laughs> uh, but there's also a connection there to the other Stark girl who is also currently concealing her Stark identity.
1: The First Lady Wainwood must have been a mayor, I think. How else to explain why all the Waynewood men are horse-faced?
0: you horseface anyone
1: and this yeah this yeah. isn't just a, and this isn't just an idle connection
0: yeah uh, we learned that Jocelyn Stark married a Benedict Royce and they had three daughters who then married Vale lordling uh-huh. and so then here we see horse-faced brown-haired Waynewoods mm. and so that's pretty that's pretty interesting although you, you know you think that maybe maybe we'll get them mentioning this connection this family connection at some point interesting yeah uh, Littlefinger has thoughts on this house as well from Feast for crows.
1: The Waynewoods are very old and very proud, but not as rich as one might think, as I discovered when I began buying up their debt. Not that Lady Anya would ever sell a son for gold. A ward, however. Mm-hmm. Young Harry is only a cousin, and the dower that I offered her ladyship was even larger than the one that Lionel Corbray just collected. It had to be for her to risk Bronzion's wrath. This will put all his plans awry. You are promised to Harold Harding, sweetling, provided you can win his boyish heart.
0: Mm-hmm. Which
1: should not be hard. For you.
0: (laughs) But back to the matter at hand, the knowledge of Elaine's identity. Lady Anya may have figured out who Elaine is, but at this point we don't really have enough to go on as if, if she has or not. But Miranda Royce, on the other hand...
1: She might know about Sansa. It's tough to say. Yeah, she certainly to, gives a few hints that she Yeah, might.
0: we have this quote. How little is his finger, I ask you?
1: Now, that by itself doesn't tell you much, but she's asked that question before. She asked that same exact question in A <laughs> Feast for Crows, and... That time it flustered Elaine. This time, however...
0: Elaine did not dignify that question with an answer. Lady Wainwood will be here soon with her son.
1: Sansa is less lad- is less rattle, which is neat, <laughs> but there's this other notion here about her maybe angling for a husband, Do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah maybe. You know, one thing I did like about this chapter, a little side note, is that Miranda and Sansa are clearly, you know, part of the sisterhood. You know, like the Brotherhood of winged knights, the sisterhood of rescuing other women from annoying guys.
1: <laughs> I can't come up with a great acronym for that one. Is that huh. Sora-Woof-Fang?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. Obviously. You've never heard that term before?
1: Yeah, I, I guess not. I guess yeah. I didn't prepare enough for this episode <laughs> as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she's she's she expresses disappointment that she's not married. Her previous husband was an old yeah. man who... Died while they were having sex. And... You'd yeah. think that might traumatize someone, but she just was like eh, well, you know, he yeah. was old. It <laughs> didn't seem to bother her. Uh,
0: remarkably unflappable, yeah. Yeah,
1: she's and she's very outgoing. You know, she makes kind of jokes that a lot of women would be uncomfortable with. She talks about She'd be like, little she, fingers. She, she and, would make
0: sense on like sex in the city or something like that. <laughs> you know, sex and, her sex, and sex in Her name is Miranda. Yeah, yeah, Miranda, that's true. She's more of a Samantha. But no, this might <laughs> be a little too much for your I have, for I family. don't yeah,
1: you're already I've already kind of lost. I just... <laughs> Know that there's a character with that name. <laughs> so, but she she talks about how Lynn Corbray would be the ideal husband, except for that he's not inter- interested in women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she she talks about how she would like to have a guy who's such a badass, I suppose, yeah. which is weird it would to me. Work well if
0: she wanted a different a lover, they could you know work together. Yeah, for that. That's true. That's true. But if we she hasn't really expressed an interest in that.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, we there another group of people to look at that's important is is Peter Baelish's own henchmen. His, mm-hmm. his one of his top henchmen is Sir Lothor Brune, mm-hmm. who he might be in fact Littlefinger's most trusted henchman. There's no reason for him to suspect his loyalty at this point. Lothor has done nothing that we've seen that, except to stay loyal to Peter. He's he was a bit of a bit lowborn, and and Littlefinger gave him his chance. Yeah, he, he's so he's probably happy about that. And he seems to have some genuine affection for Elaine as well. He legitimately wanted to make her feel better after Harry the heir said those awful things to her. And he was very zealous in protecting her from yeah, from Marillion.
0: Yeah, we see a lot of people um, compare him to Sandor Clegane, of course. Oh,
1: yeah, he's just a fla- less flashy version yeah. of Sandor yeah, Clegane. Yeah. I've
0: seen a lot of talk about that. But um, another henchman we had is Oswald Kettleblack, who, as we talked about, has just arrived back on that lathered horse. He certainly knows. He rode her and Danto's two little fingers.
1: She yeah, he saw it. He, yeah, he was an eyewitness, so yeah, there's no way he doesn't know. But this is where it gets extra interesting. We talked earlier about how all his sons are in danger. All three are set to die, which of course is a huge deal to him. He just happens to have an interesting piece of information that if Littlefinger doesn't help his sons out, Oswell is a strong candidate to turn on Littlefinger to sell that information about Sansa to someone like Cersei or the Small Council in exchange for some sort of clemency for at least one of his sons. I don't think he's going to be able to do anything about Osney who admitted to killing the High Septon and sleeping with Cersei. So that's, he's probably toast. But Osmond and Osfried, they have a chance, I suppose.
0: Yeah, you gotta gotta wonder if he's coming back on this lathered horse with these news to talk to Littlefinger about it. I, I would, I mean, if I was him, I'd be worried. You know, you come to him with this information and say you want him to do something. If I was Littlefinger, I would just have him killed yeah. right then. <laughs> yeah. He can't do anything. You don't want this information getting out. He's a loose end. I would I would just get rid of him myself. But maybe Oswald's smart enough to approach it in a slightly different way.
1: Oswald might be aware that Littlefinger, that he's a loose end now himself. He may, uh, he, he may be smart enough to figure out that he does not he's not going to fit in Littlefinger's plans anymore now that he's... You know, like you said, he's a, he's a, he's he's a liability because yeah. of he has this information and he needs something that Littlefinger can't give. He yeah. need, not just needs it, but wants it. He really wants his his sons to to live. Yeah. So he it yeah. Sucks. Watch out for watch out for that situation. I think that's yeah. one of the most subtle things in this chapter, but it's really big. Yeah. But perhaps even bigger is Sir Shadrick, the Mad Mouse. Now, I obviously don't mean literally bigger because Sir <laughs> Shadrick is so short that Sansa bumps into him and he doesn't even see her. <laughs> now, we first meet him in Brienne's point of view.
0: Here this quote. You are not the only hunter in the woods. I seek for Sansa Stark as well.
1: Yeah, Brahem plays dumb. She acts like she has no idea who Sansa Stark is. She's no, I'm looking for my yeah. sister. But Sir Shadrach is not fooled.
0: Yeah, he says, I did fight upon the Blackwater, but on the losing side. My ransom ruined me. You know who Varys is, I trust? <laughs> the eunuch has offered a plump bag of gold for this girl you've never heard of. I am not a greedy man. If some oversized wench would help me find this naughty child, I would split the spider's coin with her.
1: And then we have a quote that brings back that quote.
0: Yes, from this chapter. A good melee is all a hedge knight can hope for, unless he stumbles on a bag of dragons. And that's not likely, is it?
1: So, he very clearly knows who she is.
0: Yeah, it seems. Yeah, he,
1: he, he was make, dropping a little hint there that it was me- meant for the readers to yeah. get, and... How realistic is this, though? Can he, yeah. Do you think he can really pull off a kidnapping of Sansa from the Vale like that? I, he, I don't think he could do it alone, for no. one thing. If, if it's even possible, I seriously doubt he can do it alone. So let's look at who might join in a plot with him. First of all, we have Sir Byron and Sir Morgarth, guys you probably haven't heard of or barely have heard of.
0: Here's where they're mentioned. After Ben came Andrew Tullet, handsome Sir Sir Byron, red-nosed Sir Morgarth, and Sir Shadrick the Mad Mouse. And then we have their gallantry has yet to be determined, has yet to be demonstrated, but we may hope. Allow me to present Sir Byron, Sir Morgarth, and Sir Shadrick.
1: Right, they're all together. yeah,
0: Yeah, they're mentioned together, which is interesting.
1: And it's particularly interesting because when Sir Shadrach shows up at the Vale at the end of Feast, Littlefinger says, I've hired more, more sw- swords to keep around me. Sir Shadrach, Sir Byron, and Sir Morgarth are all together then as well. So they all arrive together at the Vale at the same time. They're still hanging out here together at this point. And if Sir Shadrick is looking for accomplices, well, look no further. Well, yeah. let's look further, actually. Those two are great candidates, though. <laughs> but we just mentioned Sir Oswald Kettleblack. There's another possibility. It would be interesting to see those two work together if Oswald gets desperate. I really could see the Small Council releasing Osmond again. I think he's, I think he's the least guilty of the, of, <laughs> of those three. So in exchange for knowledge of Sansa's whereabouts, I could see them making that deal. Especially if Osmond is, or Oswald rather, is willing to throw in a few more of Littlefinger's secrets yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the bargain. Yeah, he'd, be, huh? he'd be willing to say just about anything to save his sons, <laughs> probably.
0: The question of how exactly they would start this conversation is, you know, I have yeah. no idea how they would... Like, it's, it's pretty risky to, like, go out on an, on a limb there and mention, you know, your plans. Yeah. But if they did, Oswald would first inform Shadrach that the eunuch is not going to be giving gold to anyone, since he's no longer on the council. He'd have to convince them that their path to reward lies elsewhere.
1: Of course, this might seem true to oswell but we know that varus is actually probably willing to pay quite a lot for this information or for sansa herself so if sir shadrick doesn't try to kidnap perhaps he'll just try to get as close a little finger as possible and maybe he just wants to be like you know a little mouse <laughs> wearing, you know little birds and he nice. could just be a spy um, <laughs> that sends info to varus if i don't know how he would. Send info to Varus, with Varus being, (laughs) you know, kind of having to go underground, so to speak. That might be a logistical issue there. (laughs) But Littlefinger is always on top of things. He's even prepared for this. He's Mm -hmm. even prepared for things going the wrong way. He's got his, you know, anti-spying network set Uh up. His double agent that we referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. This, of course, is Sir Lynn Corbray.
0: Yes, it's ironic that Sansa may be saved by one of the worst men in the Vale.
1: Sir Lin will remain my implacable enemy. He will speak of me with scorn and loathing to every man he meets, and lend his sword to every secret plot to bring me down. Now, if he could undo the Lord's declarant, surely he he can undo kettleblacks and mad mice.
0: (laughs) Or can he? Are we in for a major twist here?
1: And we'll leave that hanging. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thanks, especially to Rainy Targaryen, for helping us with the timeline and a few of the points in this episode. Mm-hmm. Thanks again to our Patreon supporters who make the show possible. I'm sorry. By the
0: way, I just wanted to mention we mentioned Rainy Targaryen a few times. I'd really like to mention she's in charge. Of, she has the wiki timeline project too. We'll put a link to her um, her on the description for the YouTube video. But it's really it's really a great resource that she's done. I just can't speak highly enough about it.
1: It's true. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks again to Rhaenys. And it's, it's, I know it's sometimes confusing to people to hear Rainy's Targaryen because yeah. you think we're talking about of course, wow, what Rhaenys. does Aegon's sister have to do with helping you with the timeline? We have that same problem with there's a, a friend of ours who goes by the name of Lord Varys who's also helped us on some different projects He and makes episodes. a little more
0: sense to be giving us. Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, Lord Varys having insider information, might, that, that could actually be taken <laughs> multiple ways. Yeah. But, yeah, it does get a little confusing with having characters whose nicknames <laughs> are the same as book characters. Yeah. But anyway... Thanks to our Patreon supporters. The, the funding from Patreon is the main thing that keeps this show going. That allows us to focus on our work here. So thanks to Hand of the King and First Lord Cash Craig, AKA Vaxus, on the History of Westeros forums. Our Warden of the North and Newly Married, congrats. Lord Parker, the Bastard of Starkville, Breaker of the First Stone. Our Wardens of the South, East, and West are still open at this point. Our Master of Coin and First Counselor is Lord Robert Jacobs. Master of Whispers is Lord James the Scholar. Grand Master Itai wears the jeweled collar of many medals. Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws, and Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. The History of Westeros, Knight's Watch Lord Commander is Lord Commander George the Golden. The Lord, the History of Westeros Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. <laughs> Sir Troy the Steady swings the Valyrian steel blade fate as the History of Westeros King's Justice. Lady Darla is of Castle Nocky the Alpha Patron, Lord Nathan of the Fire Fort, and Dan of the Red Mountains, Lord of the Great Bell, Lord of Great Bell, and Breaker of the Second Stone. Thanks to all of you and everyone else who supports us on Patreon. Yeah.
0: Those are some great names. So now we're gonna, as we talked about, talk a little bit as well. Some great ideas that we had that we saw on our forum. Yeah, Where we have a we have a thread for this chapter and threads for other things, but um, this is the, this is specifically from the Elaine thread. A
1: little bit of background is uh, quite often when we're working on a topic. We post a thread in our forums to as a bit of a primer and as a placeholder for people to post their own thoughts and suggestions. A lot of times those make it in the episode, and we're going to do a better job of giving credit where it, credit's due as far as where some of these ideas come from and bringing up good suggestions and good questions, especially mm-hmm. in an episode like this where we have more time. This was not a very long chapter, mm-hmm. and although it was very subtle, yeah, I guess there was a little bit less to analyze than in some other chapters. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was you know, a light chapter. It was, it was no, it was was no mercy.
0: In the sense of mercy having so, being so meta with the, with the play, of course. It's just, it's just pretty different from that. Right, and
1: there wasn't some big battle, like in the winds, like the Theon chapter, prelude to this battle of ice. Or, or having to
0: think of three different point of view chapters, like in the battle of fire, you know, et cetera. Um,
1: but it's really subtle but I think it's the most subtle of all the of the spoiler chapters to this point. And just like and it's very worthy of a Feast for Crows because a Feast for <laughs> Crows, it was originally probably intended for a Feast for Crows or the End of Dance for Dragons. I think it was one of the chapters that was cut at yeah. the last minute from a Dance with Dragons. So this chapter was actually written quite a while ago. We we talked yeah. about how it's the first dance of chapter in ten years. It might have been largely written ten years ago. Yeah so, yeah. so or at least, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. So anyway, on to these Uh, notes from the forum
0: yeah we had uh whiz the smith um brought up these identical daggers that are being handed out um how they raise some alarm bells for him and i thought that was a great catch at first for you know if he gave it to all the competitors only eight people have the daggers but um as we went through it again we realized that he's giving them out to the brothers fathers you know friends he's just giving out to all family members there's so many daggers that i don't think that it could um be a way for littlefinger to uh to, for Littlefinger to, to, incriminate someone? to incriminate someone. I thought it was a great idea, but I don't think it is now. I think there's just too many of them out there. Eight is, is just about the right amount to do that. Eight
1: is enough. <laughs> no, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting point, though, because the, all these identical daggers, the idea being, yeah, there, maybe someone could get, there could be, it could be a murder weapon, and you could say, hey, you know, this belonged to this person. But yeah, with, if there's so many of the daggers, it may not work. But I like the idea. I did like it. I, I like that like line of that. thinking, and it's something to keep an eye out for in case we took that point a little too far. Yeah. Uh, or the counterpoint too far.
0: And we had Billy Pike mentioned a couple, of, we have two points from him. One, he just mirrors what we mentioned earlier, um, which is just that you, you just don't see Peter allowing Harry into a tournament where he could die or be awarded with a position of celibacy that, you know, blocks his marriage. Basically, so we just—we really none of us think that Harry will win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, we're pretty sure that Littlefinger has decided on some, if not most, of the winners, (laughs) and he'll find a way to make that happen. Although a lot of it will take care of itself.
0: Yeah. So his point is just that. This makes this makes it even more clear that Littlefinger has fixed the tourney and decided mm-hmm. the winners in some way because, you know, you know up, I mean, it could, it could be that he just is so confident that Harry would never, but I, I think he fixed it.
1: It seems widely regarded that Harry is not much of a fighter. Huh. Um, he's, all, he's not very old. He didn't show a lot of talent for it. And he seems more interested in women than he does mm-hmm. in fighting. But he still cares about his reputation and all that, so he doesn't mm-hmm. want to get embarrassed either. But this is a good, good time to remind people that Lothor Brun, we talked about him, we talked about Serling Corbray. they're both very good fighters. Lothor Brune actually did quite well in the ter- hands tournament. The mm. first tournament we see way back in the Game of Thrones. And this may be... I, I'm not clear on whether he was in Littlefinger's employ by that point or not. I think he was. But he mm. won his first few tilts and then lost the next one on a decision, I believe. Or maybe he was defeated by... He might have lost one to the Kingsguard. He lost to somebody notable or huh. lost in a decision. So... He is definitely a guy that Littlefinger, if, he, if, he, if Littlefinger wants to kill somebody during the tournament and have somebody killed, it'll be him or Lynn Corbray. Lynn Corbray is actually possibly even better, because yeah. Lynn Corbray is the type of guy that people are like, oh, Lynn killed somebody, <laughs> and then he dared anyone to, 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 you know, he challenges anyone to fight him over, you know, what happens. Like, ah, no, yeah. that just happened. <laughs> yeah. you want, if you want to talk talk about that, we're going to talk about it with swords. That's just, yeah. And that fits Lynn. Everybody's used to that from Lynn Corbray. That's how he is, so... Yeah. That would work out pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think Wynn makes sense to be the one to kill someone.
1: Yeah. So, Billy Pike, another point from him here. We have, Peter is probably in league with the Gulltown merchants as well. We tend to look at Lionel Corbray's marriage from his point of view or what Baelish did to gain. Lionel needed an heir and Peter needed loyalty. But what about the bride's father? That's a good point. You should always look at all the different angles and all the different people involved and what their motivations and needs are. If things don't always line up, then you have a possibility for drama or subterfuge or intrigue. So continuing uh, what what Billy Pike said here, his family is marrying way up into a noble house of the Vale and certainly owes Peter for making the match. The lords of the Vale have their titles and harv- and harvests, but debt and the Gulltown merchants have money, but no noble blood or titles. Just like Peter's ancestors. Very true. Peter understands that side of things. He understands the mind of a merchant. They probably He probably has a lot of ability to make them at ease and think like, look, I'm one of you guys. I got, I, I came up as a merchant, as a guy who made his way through finance. And that's, it's a bit mm-hmm. of, you know, common ground they have. So I bet Littlefinger is dynamite negotiating <laughs> with merchants because they kind of see eye to eye. They both, he knows that they're at the, where their interests lie with profit and mm-hmm. knows that they seek more respectability. All, all merchant families want to become noble families for the most part. And Littlefinger being on the side of the nobility is a man who can make that happen. So, Billy also says, Persuading the merchants to make deals for food so great that the desperate lords of the Vale can't refuse ensures a very lucrative trade for both parties. But more importantly, winners coming and the lords of the Vale can't eat silver stags. Exactly. So they fall right... Some of this we discussed already. They fall right into his plans.
0: Yeah. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I Maybe... They offered Lord Royce, you know, we talked about how Bronze Jan Royce is selling his stuff and Littlefinger's happy about that. Maybe they made him such a great offer that he just didn't want to refuse it and Littlefinger pushed them to make that offer is what he's saying. Yeah. Which is a great, great idea, I thought.
1: And it works too. It's, 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 it's also lowering the status of the nobles and raising the status of the merchants yeah. when winter comes the nobles are a lot of the nobles because they aren't on littlefinger's plan are going to be suffering but these merchants are going to be the ones that have the grain that have m- money and grain they're going to be able to sell it at a huge profit and that's going to increase their power and mm-hmm. it might give some other merchants the opportunity to buy their way into the nobility and anyone who does that, once again, is going to be the conduit to that, will be Littlefinger. He'll be the one to set that up, and he'll benefit on both sides. He'll benefit from setting, up, giving, getting wealth to a noble house. They'll be indebted to him. And, of course, any merchant that gets brought into the ranks of the nobility through Littlefinger will be very indebted to him. So, once yeah. again, he's just making things happen, setting himself up to be able to make things happen, and benefiting hugely from it all. <laughs> So that is all we have for today, folks. If you can't get enough of this chapter, other people have analyzed it, of course. My pick for uh, if you you can't get enough of it and you just need more, my Mm -hmm. pick, my suggestion is to check out Wars and Politics of Ice and Fires episode on this very chapter. Their podcast is only about, I think, five episodes in yet. And that's got, got Jeff Hartline. guys N- know Nina Friel, huh. Jim McGeehan, and Hamish. Oh, I forget your la- his last name? Militant Penguin is his <laughs> uh, his handle on Twitter and on the, their blog. They're doing a good job. They had some audio issues for the, getting started, but hey, so did we. Yeah, they got past their audio issues for the most part already. So. Uh, definitely check them out again. They have some good good thoughts on this as well. And just in general, I wanted to plug them because they're friends of ours and they're doing a good job and we're gonna hopefully work together with them at some point in the future. Looking as forward a, to that.
0: As a side note, um, in terms of production values, uh, we've hit our first, uh, we're you know about to make some upgrades ourselves in our production quality in terms That's of right. getting a new camera. At some point, we're gonna get um, a microphone. We're thinking about getting those microphones. We put them each, um, you know, we each have one individually. In um, box, yeah. If you happen to be a watcher who knows something about this we're going to be doing we're doing lots of research about it ourselves but feel free to chime in if you have any experience at all in this kind of thing.
1: Yeah we could we could we're all as as we always are we're open to suggestions and feedback with A Song of Ice and Fire stuff but we're also open to suggestions and feedback for how we run the show. As we pointed out many times and we mean it every time we say it this is this show is a community endeavor it only is possible because of the community who gives back so much so we have learned to rely on you all and because you're knowledgeable people out there you guys know a lot it takes we tend to i i don't want to sound arrogant but we tend to attract smart people (laughs) you guys we have a very smart group of listeners out there you guys are great and so when you have a resource like that we can't help but but throw that question out there and see what comes back so thanks in advance folks for the suggestions and feedback both for the show and for the technical side And we look forward to continuing our journey towards the Winds of Winter. Hopefully, the next time we talk about the Winds of Winter, it'll actually be out or there'll be a release date. If not, we'll be reviewing another spoiler chapter, perhaps. (laughs) And we'll be continuing on with our Blackfire Rebellion series. If you're listening to this far in the future, or maybe some more of the episodes of Blackfire Rebellions are already out. But in any case, we will see you all next time. Thanks for watching and or listening. Valar Morguls.